Our dear loving Father in heaven, glory be unto your name for giving us another opportunity where we can come and fellowship with you. Dear Lord, we pray that you would grant us a knowledge of you as we study your word. We pray humbly that you grant us your spirit. We know we do not deserve what we ask, but we are asking because you asked us to do so. And I know you love us and you want to lift us up and you want to help us. And I believe you hear our prayers. Therefore, I pray, possess me with your spirit and put your words in my mouth for the sake of the salvation of your children whom your son died for, that the words spoken may work to our salvation as we contemplate heavenly things. As we behold you, in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him, January 30. Marvel of the heavenly hosts. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. It is important that we each study to know the reason of the life of Christ in humanity and what it means to us, why the Son of God left the courts of heaven, why he stepped down from his position as commander of the heavenly angels who came and went at his bidding, why he clothed his divinity with humanity and in lowliness and humility came to the world as our Redeemer. It was the marvel of the heavenly hosts that Christ should come to earth and do as he did, that his life here should be one of poverty, in such incomparable contrast with his glory in the heavenly courts. He might have come attended by the angelic trunk. Before the universe of heaven, Christ condescended to take upon him the form of humanity and stand among the lowly ones of earth that he might reach them where they were and by precept and example teach them that though among the poor and oppressed they might be pure and true and noble, he came to reveal to the world that the life and character need not become contaminated amid poverty and lowliness. The lily that rests upon the bosom of the lake may be surrounded with weeds and unsightly debris, yet unsolid. It opens its fragrant white blossom to the sunlight. It strikes its channeled stem down through the mass of rubbish to the pure sands beneath. Refusing everything that will defile, it gathers to itself only those properties that will develop into the spotless, fragrant flower. The lily is a representation of Christ among men. He came to a world all seared and marred with the curse, but he was not polluted by its surroundings. He was the light, the life, and the way. He voluntarily became an inhabitant of earth that he might grasp the whole world in his merciful arms and lay it in the arms of his heavenly Father. What love is manifested in this sacrifice, that the Lord himself should come to the help of fallen sons and daughters of Adam. Amen. 
The title of our devotion is Marvel of the Heavenly Hosts. To go straight to the point, this devotion is about why God needed to come down as a man born of a woman in order to vindicate the law of God. We read in the devotion that I may know him, page 36, paragraph 2, it says, It is important that we each study, not I studying for you, but each of us studying for ourselves, the reason of the life of Christ in humanity and what it means to us. Why the Son of God left the courts of heaven, why he stepped down from his position as commander of the heavenly angels who came and went at his bidding, why he clothed his divinity with humanity and in lowliness and humility came to the world as our redeemer. End of quote. And this is the subject matter for our devotion. To understand why it was necessary that Jesus came the way he did. In order for us to understand this, there is by the way, how did he come? Let's go to that first of all. How did Jesus come? We were talking about this in our devotion yesterday. Jesus divine, the divine redeemer. That's what we looked at. But beyond just understanding that he's the divine redeemer, we have to ask, could he not have come a different way? Why the humiliation of God having to come through a sinful woman? Why this kind of an unceremonial, humbling and degrading way for him to come? For one who is the creator of heaven and earth. In fact, in our devotion, we read that he could have come in a grandiose style with the angels ushering him into the world. He, he could have done that and still come in sinful human flesh. But he didn't come that way. He came in a very humbling, humbling, de- degrading for one who is God, being born of a woman. It's degrading for if you think of it for you as a human being you don't see it as degrading to be born of a woman but no it is not so for God the creator of heaven and earth to have to be born by a woman whom he created not just a woman who is in the perfection of humanity but sinful flesh that's degrading it's humbling it's humbling even the bible says it in philippians 2 verse 5 and 6 one who taught it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself the word there is used humbled it is humbling for god to come as a man born of a woman it is already humbling enough for him to come as a man in the first place but just to come as a man born of a woman why did he have to do that we take it for granted that jesus was born of mary but we do not understand that this is a shameful and humiliating experience that the i am that i am the eternal father the mighty god should come in such a humbling fashion think of it it is an in almost an infinite humiliation we will look tomorrow at what is infinite humiliation but for today we're looking at the almost infinite humiliation of jesus today we will look at why Jesus subjected himself to this almost infinite humiliation and tomorrow we will look at the actual infinite humiliation of God and we will learn lessons from it. So why? Why did Jesus have to come this way? In order to understand why Jesus came this way, we need to understand the nature of the great controversy. We need to reason from cause to effect, find out the problem and which is the cause and then understand the effect that's cause to effect which is the solution. So the cause is the problem, the effect is the solution. We need to find this out. So what is the problem that Jesus was trying to solve? It was not merely the rebellion of Satan. Remember after Satan rebelled, Jesus did not propose that he's going to die. It was after the, re- after the sin of man. But let us understand why, after the rebellion of Satan, Jesus did not say he's going to die for Satan. In the book, Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 28, paragraph 2, we want to see what was going through the mind of Satan after he was expelled from heaven. It says, Satan, Satan stood in amazement at his new condition. 
that the new condition being referred to is he was banished from heaven. He stood in amazement. His happiness was gone. He looked upon the angels who with him were once so happy, but who had been expelled from heaven with him. Before their fall, not a shade of discontent had marred their perfect bliss. Now moving to paragraph 2 now it says, The hour of joyful happy songs of praise to God and his dear son had come. Satan had led that heavenly choir. He had raised the first note. Then all the angelic hosts united with him, and glorious strains of music had resounded through heaven in honor of God and his dear son. But now, instead of strains of sweetest music, discord and angry words fall upon the ear of the great rebel leader. Where was he? Was it not a, all a horrible dream? Was he shut out of heaven, where the gates of heaven never more to open and admit him? Could he be again as he was when he was pure? True and loyal, gladly would he yield up the claims of his authority, but he was lost beyond redemption. That's the key now. This is why Jesus did not die for Satan. He was lost beyond redemption for his presumptuous rebellion. And this was not all. He had led others to rebellion and the same lost condition with himself. Angels who had never thought to question the will of God or refuse obedience to the law of God till he had put it into their minds, presenting before them that they might enjoy a greater good, a higher and more glorious liberty. This had been the sophistry whereby he had deceived them. So my point I'm bringing out from here is that Satan was beyond redemption. But then Satan tried to redeem himself. And here is where a new problem began. Paragraph, page 29, paragraph 2 says, An angel from heaven was passing. He called him and entreated an interview with Christ. This was granted him. He then related to the Son of God that he had repented of his rebellion and wished again the favor of God. He was willing to take the place God had previously assigned him and be under his wise command. Christ wept at Satan's woe, but told him, as the mind of God, that he could never be received into heaven. Heaven must not be placed in jeopardy. All heaven will be marred should he be received back. For sin and rebellion originated with him. The seeds of rebellion were still within him. He had in his rebellion no occasion for his cause, and he had not only hopelessly ruined himself, but the host of angels also, who would then have been happy in heaven had he remained steadfast. The law of God could condemn but could not pardon. Now, here we see something that's strange. Why didn't Christ receive him when he said he wants to come back? And now going on in the reading, he says, He repented not of his rebellion because he saw the goodness of God which he had abused. It was not possible that his love for God had so increased since his fall that it would lead to cheerful submission and happy obedience to his law which had been despised. The wretchedness he realized in losing the sweet light of heaven and the sense of guilt which forced itself upon him and the disappointment he experienced himself in not finding his expectations realized were the cause of his grief. So, to make it plainer, Satan was not repentant. The only reason he was coming to ask for forgiveness or repentance was because he wanted to be reinstated to his position. The cause of his grief was because he saw, oh, I finally lost. Now you want to repent because you've seen that you lost. But if you didn't lose, you will not repent. 
So it is not a genuine repentance. That's what this is saying. Jesus knew that this repentance was not genuine. You only repented when you had finished fighting, when you had challenged God, and then when God had subdued you. Then when he had subdued you, now you are saying, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because you see that you have been banished from heaven. Now you are saying you are sorry. Jesus was not having it. Jesus knew that it is not possible that this person that was so rebellious just a few days ago, I'm just using days because they were in eternity. Just a few moments ago, you were just rebellious. You shouted against the Lord. You stood against him. You fought. And now you are saying you are repentant. Jesus was not having it. He knew better than that. He could read his heart that it is just because you don't like the condition you are in. The punishment you've been given is what you don't like. That's why you are saying what you are saying. Not that you have started seeing God as a good person or you have changed your views. His views were not changed. So, what will Satan do now that Jesus has rejected his plea? It says in page 30, paragraph 4. You can go and read the whole thing. There's a lot I'm skipping because I do not want to take much time. So you can go to Spirit of Prophecy, volume 1, starting from page 28 and downward. So I'm going now to page 30, paragraph 4, to see what Satan decided when Jesus rejected his plea. Page 30, paragraph 2, it says... This great change of position had not increased his love for God, nor for his wise and just law. When Satan became fully convinced that there was no possibility of his being reinstated in the favor of God, he manifested his malice with increased hatred and fiery vehemence. I want to pause here to say something. You know, in human relations, we still see these things happen. We still see it happen. When somebody has said, oh, please forgive me, and you withhold from them that which they wanted, and you say, okay, I've forgiven you, but I'm not giving you back this or that check their behavior if after you still withhold from them what they want and you see them behave like satan they are still angry they still speak evil then you know that they are not really repentant because even if you were really repentant you would take the punishment you would even say no don't even give me i am so repentant i know why you are doing what you are doing i really did wrong it is not for me to request that you give back to me what i had i know i did wrong but not for satan the evidence of his the fact that he was not repentant is that ever since Jesus did not allow him to come in, how has been his behavior? His behavior has been wicked, even worse than what it was. If he was really repentant, he would not have been how he is today. If he was really repentant, he would show it, even though he was not reinstated back to heaven. But then we see his malice and wickedness. Now, what did he do? Continuing the reading, says, God knew that such determined rebellion would not remain inactive. Satan would invent means to annoy the heavenly angels and show contempt for his authority. As he could not gain admission within the gates of heaven, he would wait just at the entrance to taunt the angels and, and seek contention with them as they went in and out. He would seek to destroy the happiness of Adam and Eve. He would endeavor to incite them to rebellion, knowing that this would cause grief in heaven. So going on in the reading, it says, his followers were seeking him and he aroused himself and assuming a look of defiance informed them of his plans to wrest from God the noble Adam and his companion Eve if he could so this is the problem now remember we're studying why did Jesus have to come the way he came as a human being born of a woman this is where the problem began Satan cooked up a plan to cause Adam to sin and here was what was in his mind he said if he could in any way beguile them to disobedience, God would make some provision whereby they might be pardoned, and then himself and all the fallen angels would be in a fair way to share with them of God's mercy. 
if this should fail, they could unite with Adam and Eve. For when once they should transgress the law of God, they would be subject of God's wrath like themselves. Their transgression would place them also in a state of rebellion, and they could unite with Adam and Eve, take possession of Eden, and hold it as their home. And if they could gain access to the tree of life in the midst of the garden, their strength would, they thought, be equal to that of the holy angels, and even God himself could not expel them." End of quote. What a plan! The plan is deep. This is not just to cause Adam and Eve to sin, but by causing them to sin, he says, if God pardons them, let me see how he will pardon them and still be just and not pardon us. If he pardons them, he must pardon us too. Secondly, if he doesn't pardon them, no problem. We will take over Eden and not just take over Eden and earth, at least we have a home now. But beyond that, we will go and take from the tree of life and eat it and we will live forever and ever and ever. Who else can cook up such a thing than the devil himself? We know the rest of the story. He succeeded in what his plan was. He made Adam and Eve to sin. And after making them to sin, then came his new charge, which is what brought about what we are talking about today, why Jesus had to come as a man born of a woman. Third Selected Messages, page 136, paragraph 1, it says, Satan, the fallen angel, had declared that no man could keep the law of God after the disobedience of Adam. So take note of the time he said it. After the disobedience of Adam, he said no man could keep the law of God. He claimed the whole race under his control. End of quote. So what are we seeing here? The real problem now began. Jesus did not propose to die after Satan's rebellion. It is after this Adam's rebellion through Satan that then the plan of salvation came into effect. Of course, the plan has been there since before even Satan was created. God knew he was always going to do this. But then, it was unfolded at this time. Angels in heaven had never even known of anything like this. But now that Adam and Eve sinned, the question, just imagine yourself in the place of the heavenly angels and in the place of the satanic angels too. Everybody is wondering, what are you going to do now, God? Adam and Eve had sinned. They are now on the side of Satan. You love Adam and Eve, but Satan, you didn't want to admit him back to heaven. How would you admit Adam back? How would you give him eternal life without giving Satan? They did the same thing. They both rebelled. Eve's sin was so deep. She believed Satan above God. She taught him a liar. She despised him and treated him like he was a treacherous person and ate of that fruit, being on Satan's side. What are you going to do now, God? Eve and Adam are just like the other angels that Satan deceived. You didn't allow those angels back to heaven. How would you Adam allow Adam and Eve back? How would you give them eternal life? This was all we were talking about yesterday. How would God be just and still be a justifier of sinners? Satan put it in his face. Another reading in Desire of Ages, page 24, paragraph 2 says, Satan represents God's law of love as a law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. The fall of our first parents, with all the woe that has resulted, he charges upon the Creator leading men to look upon God as the author of sin and suffering and death. Let me stop there. So do you see what the problem was? The problem is not just that man sinned. The problem is that Satan is blaming God for the sin of man and for his own sins and for the sin of the rest of the angels and for the sin of the whole world. How is he blaming them? How is he blaming God? He's saying, if your law could be kept, it would not be broken. The only reason why I sinned and all the angels sinned, and Adam sinned, and Eve sinned, and every human being has been sinning since then, is because your law cannot be kept. 
So God has a problem here. It is not just to save man. It is to vindicate his character because he gave this law to be kept. But here is the devil saying, you are a selfish God. You gave us a law that cannot be kept. I'll come back to this reading. Now, let me go further in this page. Page 117, paragraph 1, it says, Satan had pointed to Adam's sin as proof that God's law was unjust and could not be obeyed in our humanity. So, this is the key point. We are trying to answer the question, why did Jesus have to come in the way he came, being born of a woman, not being ushered with angelic trunks? Hear this charge. Desire of Ages, page 117, paragraph 1. Satan had pointed to Adam's sin as proof that God's law was unjust and could not be obeyed. In our humanity, Christ was to redeem Adam's failure. So, going on again, Faith and Works, page 71, paragraph 1. Christ took upon himself humanity for us, and divinity and humanity were combined. He showed that that law which Satan declared could not be kept, could be kept. Christ took humanity to stand here in our world to show that Satan had lied. He took humanity upon himself to demonstrate that with divinity and humanity combined, man could keep the law of Jehovah. Separate humanity from divinity and you can try to work out your own righteousness from now till Christ comes and it will be nothing but a failure. End of quote. Amen. So when Jesus came to this earth, he declared in the Sermon on the Mount that he did not come to destroy but to fulfill that law. This is the reason why. So are we getting the drift now why Jesus had to come? It was not just to merely to die for the rest of the world who had sinned. But there was something that he was trying to prove. Satan's charge against him is that his law cannot be kept by fallen humans. If perfect Adam could not keep it, why are you still telling fallen men to keep it? You are the problem. You are unjust. That is Satan's claim. You are unjust. You are selfish. You are wicked. You are the one who gave a law that cannot be kept. So Satan is saying, I broke the law. Yes, he's admitting it. I did break the law, but it's not my fault. It's because the law could not be kept. Even though angels are in heaven that prove that the law could be kept, he said, yeah, yeah, I get it, but what of human beings? The humans, you created Adam perfect, but he sinned. And now they are in an imperfect state, in fallen sinful flesh, and you are still telling them to keep the law. How wicked can you be? How bad can you be? How insensitive can you be? You know that this thing is difficult for them, yet you are saying they should do it. You are an insensitive, wicked, malicious, terrible God. That's Satan's claim. So God has a charge to answer. And when Jesus came and began his ministry, even from the moment he was born, why did he have to be born that way? It is to answer this charge. Jesus had to come in such a humble fashion, in almost infinite humiliation for him, to be born by a woman in sinful flesh because he had to answer a charge. He had to prove a point. He had to take human, sinful human flesh. Not only that, he had to come in the worst condition possible, like we read in our devotion, that he condescended to take the form of humanity. He is like the lily. He lived in a place that was bad, which is Nazareth. All kinds of evil surrounded him. It's like, he said, let me make it as difficult as possible so that there will be no excuse that Satan will not say, oh, is it not because you were born in the king's family? That's why you, it was easy for you to keep the law. Or is it not because you had the greatest advantage of having the best education in the schools of the world? That's why you were able to live a sinless life? Satan will not say anything about that. 
Jesus put himself in the worst human condition possible so that there will be no excuse that Satan will give to say this is the reason why you kept the law. And we have been reading it in previous devotions that nobody should say that Christ had an advantage over us because he did not. It is for this reason to answer this charge that he took upon himself sinful flesh, had to be born of a woman, be a little baby, an infant, then grow into a child and then come into youth and then adulthood. Why? So that he can pass through every human stage. And he will not say, oh, is it not because you came directly from heaven as a human being, as a full-grown man? That's why you were able to keep the law. No, there is nothing that human beings pass through that Jesus did not subject himself to and even worse. I look at myself and perhaps you can look at yourself and you can agree with me that we have had it easier than Jesus Christ. His life was filled with trouble from left to right everywhere, but yet he would remain unsolid by the corruption around him. And all this was done so that he can prove a point that the law of God can be kept in this sinful flesh. And when he started his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That's Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. Reading from Manuscript Releases, volume 18, page 133, paragraph 2 and downward, to explain what this means. He says, in essence, Jesus was saying, I have not come to destroy the law, but to show its immutability and the holiness of its claims. God could not change his law to meet man in his fallen condition. By suffering the penalty of transgression, I will redeem the race. I have become man's substitute and surety. I have taken human nature and have come to this earth to pass over the ground where Adam stumbled and fell. In humanity, I will bear the test and proving of God. Satan has declared that man cannot keep the law. I will show that this statement is false, that man can keep the law. I have come to remove deception from the minds of men to make plain that which Satan is trying to make obscure. I have come to establish the law that Satan is seeking to make void, to show how far-reaching are the principles of this law. I have come to strip from it the burdensome exactions with which man has loaded it down. I have come to show its length and breadth, its dignity and nobility. I will open before men the purity and spirituality of God's commandments. Not to introduce a new law have I come, but to establish the law which to all eternity will be the standard of obedience. Amen. This is why Christ came the way he came as a man. Born of a woman, living in Nazareth, the bad, the worst place that one could think of in, the, in, in, in Judea, at least in the land of the Jews, the worst place that one could think of living in poverty, surrounded by corruption, but yet without sin, so that he can answer the charge of Satan, and so that he can prove to you and me that it is possible to keep the law. There were two options left to God when Satan brought this charge, either do away with the law so that man will not be a sinner, and if that happens, Satan himself too will no no longer be declared a sinner. Because the law he broke has now been made void. So since it is void, those who were condemned by it will no longer be condemned. And Satan and his angels will be free. Adam and Eve will be free. But instead of doing that, Christ came. Instead of making void the law, he came to prove that the law will never be made void. To prove that it is an eternal law. And also to prove that Satan is a liar. 
that the law can be kept by you and me. Do you know that many human beings today still share this view that Satan has? That it is impossible to keep the law. They like to go to passages that says, Oh, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But do you know, O oh man, that in the book of 1 John 3 verse 8 and 9, we are told that for this reason the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, that whosoever is born of God does not commit sin because he is born of God and the seed of God remains in him and he cannot sin. Do you know that in the book of 1 John 3 verse 6 that it says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither known him. Do you know that the Bible says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 2, that it says his divine power has given us everything that pertains to life. Reading from verse 3, it says his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Do you know that it says in verse 4 of the same book and chapter that God has made us to be partakers of the divine nature? and have made us to escape the corruption that is in this world through lust if we choose to be partakers of the divine nature? Do you know these passages and yet you still say that we will continue to sin, that we cannot keep the law of God? Do you know these passages that Jesus said that the law is there to be fulfilled and not to be broken and he didn't come to destroy it? Do you know these things and yet you still join the devil in pushing forward the claim that we will continue to sin till Jesus comes? Do you know the power of God, the eternal God, the mighty God, and yet you say that if he is in you, you will still continue to sin? How can Jesus be in me or you and yet Satan still has power over you? Sin still has power over you. We have to admit, the only reason I am sinning, the only reason I fall, the only reason I make any mistake and transgress the law of God is because I am not abiding in him. 1 John 3 verse 6 says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sin it has not seen him, neither known him. If I sin, it is because I stopped abiding in Jesus. It's not because it was not possible for me to live a righteous life. It is because I stopped abiding. We have seen how Jesus overcame. He prayed with strong crying and tears. He overcame just as a human being like you and I did. And you can do it too. And he expects it to be done in us. And he has promised to do it. Jeremiah 31 reading from verse 31 says, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Verse 33 gives us the covenant. Now it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And the house of Israel means you and me everyone that spiritually believes in jesus that's the house of israel he says this is the covenant i'll make with the house of israel after those days saith the lord i will put my law do you remember this is the law that satan said cannot be kept god says i will put my law in their inward parts and write it that's the law in their hearts and will be their god and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the lord that I may know him. That's the theme of our devotion. Nobody's going to tell you, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Amen. This is the plan of God, that his law will be written in our hearts. Not that he's going to destroy the law or make it void, but that he will write it in our hearts. And Jesus promises in Revelation 3 verse 21, To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set with my Father on his throne. 
we saw in our devotion that the lily is a representation of Christ. He came to the world all seared and marred with the curse, but he was not polluted by its surroundings. This is why he came. He was the light of life. He was the light, the life, and the way. He voluntarily became an inhabitant of earth that he might grasp the whole world in his merciful arms and lay it in the arms of his heavenly Father. Amen. That I may know in page 36, paragraph 5. So Christ is the example that we can overcome and live perfect sinless lives. Our high calling, page 353, paragraph 4, says we can overcome. Yes, fully, entirely. Jesus died to make a way of escape for us that we might overcome every fault, resist every temptation, and sit down at last with him in his throne. Review and Herald, December 22, 1885, says... Though through the plan of salvation, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait and resisting every temptation, however strong. Amen. And also in the book Maranatha, page 224, paragraph 4 and 5, we are told, Our lives may seem a tangle, but as we commit ourselves to the wise master worker, he will bring out the pattern of life and character that will be to his own glory. And that character which expresses the glory, the character of Christ, will be received into the paradise of God. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. End of quote. Amen. The reason Christ came down to this earth the way he did as a child, a little baby born of a woman is to give you the evidence and encouragement that you can live like he did. He had no greater advantages in comparison to us. He showed that through the humanity connecting with the divine, it is possible to stay uncorrupted, unsolid by sin, even if you live in an environment that is filled with corruption like Jesus did, you can still live a righteous life. But he doesn't mean for us to go and place ourselves unbidden in such environments. But Jesus showed us, not to show us his superiority. Please, Jesus did not come down to earth as a man to live sinless life, a sinless life to show us his superiority to us. No. He came to show us what we are capable of, what humanity is capable of if humanity will depend completely on divinity, if we will constantly surrender to God. Jesus was constantly surrendered. We have seen it in our previous devotions, how it is that he was constantly submitting to his father. He depended on his father for everything that he did, including the miracles. He depended on his father. In his sinless life, he depended on his father. Through much prayer, through fasting, through study of the word, through an intelligence and a knowledge of God as he studied. He was able to know the sophistries and snares of Satan and avoid them. He was able to decipher righteousness very easily. He was quick to discern evil and strong to resist it. That's something we need to have. Do you have the quickness to discern evil? Study the word, you'll get it. Do you have the strength to resist it? Pray and you will have it. It is not by studying you get strength to resist. It is by prayer. You get sensitivity and consciousness through the study and through prayer you get strength to resist. And then by yielding, 
we overcome our flesh. We have seen this before. Submission. Prayer and submission. After praying, then we must yield. This is why the Lord came the way he did, to give us an example. The example is set before us to encourage us, and I am encouraged, and I hope you are too. You can overcome. Don't let anybody tell you you cannot live a sinless life. Look at Jesus. He did it, and he did it to show us that we can do it. And if you think that he doesn't expect us to read again, Revelation 3 verse 21, Jesus said, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. So he said we need to overcome like he overcame. How did he overcome? To the fullest. He lived a sinless life. That is what he is expecting us to do. And he's going to give us and he has given us every advantage, everything that is necessary for us to do so. It's for us to take it, what he has given, and we will get the results. And I pray that we do so. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for what you did. The infinite humiliation of our Lord Jesus so that you could answer the charge of Satan and also give us an example and an encouragement that we can do the same. Thank you for all the provisions, divine, material, and temporal provisions, spiritual provisions that you have given to us so that we can live sinless lives like our Lord Jesus. I pray that these provisions and advantages that have been given to us shall not be missed. Teach us, Lord, to study your word. Help us, Lord, to be quick to descend evil. Give us power to be strong to resist it. Teach us to learn to yield. Help us, Father, as, as we look at our Lord Jesus, we shall indeed find in him the marvel of our own lives of the heavenly hosts. Help us in this matter, I pray. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Angel with a Strong Voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org that is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org